19th century France. Together with gratuities provided by his parishioners, it appears to have been sufficient. During those six years, Saunier seems to have led a pleasant enough life, and a placid one. He hunted and fished in the mountains and streams of his boyhood. He read voraciously, perfected his Latin, learned Greek, embarked on the study of Hebrew. He employed, as housekeeper and servant, an eighteen-year-old peasant girl named Marie Denano, who was to be his lifelong companion and confidant. He paid frequent visits to his friend, the Abbe Henri Boudet, curé of the neighbouring village of Rennes-les-Bains, and under Boudet's tutelage, he immersed himself in the turbulent history of the region, a history whose residues were constantly present around him. A few miles to the southeast of Rennes-le-Chateau, for example, looms another peak called Bizou, surmounted by the ruins of a medieval fortress, which was once a preceptory of the Knights Templar. On a third peak, a mile or so east of Rennes-le-Chateau, stands the ruins of the Chateau of Blanchefort, ancestral home of Bertrand de Blanchefort, fourth Grand Master of the Knights Templar, who presided over that famous order in the mid-twelfth century. Rennes-le-Chateau and its environs had been on the ancient pilgrim route, which ran from northern Europe to Santiago de Compostela in Spain, and the entire region was steeped in evocative legends, in echoes of a rich, dramatic, and often blood-soaked past. For some time, Saunier had wanted to restore the village church of Rennes-le-Chateau. Consecrated to the Madeleine in 1059, this dilapidated edifice stood on the foundations of a still older Visigoth structure dating from the 6th century. By the late 19th century it was, not surprisingly, in a state of almost hopeless disrepair. In 1891, encouraged by his friend Boudet, Saunier embarked on a modest restoration, borrowing a small sum from the village funds. In the course of his endeavours, he removed the altar stone, which rested on two archaic Visigoth columns. One of these columns proved to be hollow. Inside, the curé found four parchments preserved in sealed wooden tubes. Two of these parchments are said to have comprised genealogies, one dating from 1244 and the other from 1644. The two remaining documents had apparently been composed in the 1780s by one of Saunier's predecessors as curé of Rennes-le-Chateau, the Abbé Antoine Bigou. Bigou had also been personal chaplain to the noble Blanchefort family, who on the eve of the French Revolution was still among the most prominent local landowners. The two parchments from Bigou's time would appear to be pious Latin texts, excerpts from the New Testament, at least ostensibly. But on one of the parchments, the words are run incoherently together, with no space between them, and a number of utterly superfluous letters have been inserted. And on the second parchment, lines are indiscriminately truncated, unevenly, sometimes in the middle of a word, while certain letters are conspicuously raised above the others. In reality, these parchments comprise a sequence of ingenious ciphers or codes, some of them are fantastically complex, insoluble without the requisite key. The following decipherment has appeared in French works devoted to Rennes-le-Chateau. Shepherdess, no temptation. That Poussin, Tenier, 
hold the key. Peace 681. By the cross and this horse of God, I complete or destroy this demon of the guardian at noon. Blue apples. But if some of the ciphers are daunting in their complexity, others are obvious. In the second parchment, for instance, the raised letters, taken in sequence, spell out a coherent message. To Dagobert II, King, and to Sion, belongs this treasure, and he is there, dead. Although this particular message must have been discernible to Sonier, it is doubtful that he could have deciphered the more intricate codes. Nevertheless, he realized he had stumbled upon something of consequence, and, with the consent of the village mayor, brought his discovery to his superior, the Bishop of Carcassonne. How much the bishop understood is unclear, but Sonier was immediately dispatched to Paris, at the bishop's expense, with instructions to present himself and the parchments to certain important ecclesiastic authorities. Chief among these were the Abbe Billet, director-general of the seminary of Saint-Sulpice, and Billet's nephew, Emile Offay. At the time, Offay was training for the priesthood, Although still in his early twenties, he had already established an impressive reputation for scholarship, especially in linguistics, cryptography, and paleography. Despite his pastoral vocation, he was known to be immersed in esoteric thought and maintained cordial relations with the various occult-oriented groups, sects, and secret societies which were proliferating in the French capital. Having presented himself to Billet and Offay, Sonier spent three weeks in Paris. What transpired during his meetings with the ecclesiastics is unknown. What is known is that the provincial country priest was promptly and warmly welcomed into Offay's distinguished circle. During his stay in Paris, Sonier also spent some time in the Louvre. This may well be connected with the fact that before his departure he purchased reproductions of three paintings. One seems to have been a portrait by an unidentified artist of Pope Celestin V, who reigned briefly at the end of the 13th century. One was a work by David Tenier, although it's not clear which David Tenier, father or son. The third was perhaps the most famous tableau by Nicolas Poussin, Les Bergers d'Acadie, The Shepherds of Arcadia. On his return to Rennes-le-Chateau, Sonier resumed his restoration of the village church. In the process, he exhumed a curiously carved flagstone, dating from the 7th or 8th century, which may have had a crypt beneath it, a burial chamber in which skeletons were said to have been found. Sonier also embarked on projects of a rather more singular kind. In the churchyard, for example, stood the sepulchre of Marie, Marquise de Poule de Blanchefort, the headstone and flagstone marking her grave have been designed and installed by the Abbe Antoine Bigou, Sonier's predecessor of a century before, who had apparently composed two of the mysterious parchments. Not knowing that the inscription on the Marquise's tomb had already been copied, Sonier obliterated them. Nor was this desecration the only curious behaviour he exhibited. Accompanied by his faithful housekeeper, he began to make long journeys on foot about the countryside, 
collecting rocks of no apparent value or interest. He also embarked on a voluminous exchange of letters with unknown correspondents throughout France, as well as in Germany, Switzerland, Italy, Austria and Spain. He took to collecting stacks of utterly worthless postage stamps, and he opened certain shadowy transactions with various banks. One of them even dispatched a representative from Paris, who travelled all the way to Rennes-le-Chateau for the sole purpose of ministering to Cernier's business. In postage alone, Cernier was already spending a substantial sum, more than his previous annual income could possibly sustain. Then, in 1896, he began to spend in earnest on a staggering and unprecedented scale. By the end of his life in 1917, his expenditure would amount to the equivalent of several million pounds at least. Some of this unexplained wealth was devoted to laudable public works. A modern road was built leading up to the village, for example, and facilities for running water were provided. Other expenditures were more quixotic. A tower was built, the Tour Magdala, overlooking the sheer side of the mountain. An opulent country house was constructed called the Villa Bethania, which Sonier himself never occupied. And the church was not only redecorated, but redecorated in a most bizarre fashion. Immediately inside the entrance, a hideous statue was erected, a gaudy representation of the demon Asmodeus, custodian of secrets, guardian of hidden treasures, and according to ancient Judaic legend, builder of Solomon's temple. On the church walls, lurid, garishly painted plaques were installed depicting the stations of the cross. Each.